Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gagan Pressing, Dea Upamakano joins newly crowned World Club Champions Bayern Munich. What does this mean for the rest of the league? Plus, it's official. Marco Rosa will be the next Dortmund head coach. And of course, it's Champions League week, but Leipzig won't play at home. All that and much more coming up in the next 40 minutes on Gegenpress, the Bundesliga podcast. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Football Grad creator Manuel Veth. Manu, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, Bryce. Doing really well, actually. I'm really looking forward to this podcast, and I'm really excited to have Chris back on the show. Yeah, you've beat me to it, breaking the news. So joining Manu and myself once again, Chris Williams. Chris, brilliant to have you back. Yeah, thanks. I thought I'd take a step back old school and, you know, come back to where it all started. Um, no, I just have um, a week a week off my um, other duties this week. So, yeah, it's great to be back on. Obviously, for everybody listening, um, I don't just go away. I have the privilege of editing this podcast. So even when I'm not there, I'm still here. Yes, he's always involved. And yeah, it's great to have you back, Chris. So guys, we've got plenty to talk about. So let's get into it. Let's start with one of the form teams of the moment, Eintracht Frankfurt. They beat Köln 2-0 to make it eight wins in their last nine. Yeah, so things are looking pretty good for Eintracht Frankfurt, Chris. Does this mean they've now moved up to third that they can sustain this and maybe get Champions League football next year? Oh, good question. That They're absolutely flying, aren't they? Um, playing some really good, exciting football. Um, I think they're back to, as a club, I think they're back to w- where they were when Nico Kovac was involved. They're pushing um, up the league table. They were getting to cup finals. Um, but Adi Hutt has brought them back to that level, but he's got them playing, I'd, I'd say, a slightly better brand of football, but they're just as physical as they used to be. I think that was a real key aspect to them. They're a very physical, very tough side. Um, and yeah, end of match day 21, they're in third place and you you know, you know don't get there by luck um, or, or good fortune. You get there by playing well. And yeah, of course, they've had fantastic um, vein of form powered by um, Andre Silva, who's one of the most exciting strikers to watch this season. Um, I mean, their last few games uh, are all wins. I mean, they've got that draw against Freiburg back on match day 17. And then you've got to go all the way back to mid-December before we broke for Christmas for the last time. They didn't pick three points up out of that. They've had a remarkable um, vein of form. I think they've got, is it nine wins out of their last 10 games? Um, That's that's title winning form, Bryce. Yeah, it's twenty five points from twenty seven and nine last nine, Chris. That's that's remarkable form. I mean, that's the that's the sort of form that that gets you in the Champions League, and it's the sort of consistency that gets you in the Champions League. I saw an interesting tweet um, from a friend of mine, Adrian from Rabona TV, and he said, like in any other league, 
Andre Silva would probably be the top scorer with the amount of goals he's scored. And it's really kind of unfortunate for him that he's competing with who he described as a monster and Robert Lewandowski, right? But I mean, this side is just absolutely incredible. And I think, you know, we've been kind of saying um, that since we've doing this podcast that Frankfurt is, the, is a sleeping giant in many ways. It's maybe that club that is on the cusp of like becoming one of the top four sides, you know, if they if they build the right way. And maybe this is the year where they finally break into the top four. And I think once they're there, they have a very good chance of staying there. Chris, they obviously face some competition. When you look at the table, they've got RB Leipzig in second, but then Wolfsburg, Leverkusen, and I suppose further down, you've got Dortmund and Gladbach. A lot of competition, but do you think their form is the thing that's going to keep them you know, afloat, keep them going, when the other teams seem to be crumbling away? Yeah, they're going to have to keep this tremendous um, vein of form going. Obviously, it's a hard thing to do, but I think what's key for them is they're not getting beat very often, um, early December, and then before that, October, the last time they were beaten. Um, in fact, they've only lost two Bundesliga games all season, which is tremendous. They went through a patch of drawing a lot of games, which I often think is is worse than a defeat sometimes. If you draw three games. I mean, just looking here, they won two, three, four, five, five games they drew on the run. That is a lot of drop points. If if you draw one or two games um, and then get beat, I think it sometimes snaps you back into it. Um, drawing games is a false positive for me. It, it makes you think that, oh, everything's okay. We're not losing. And I often think it's just as bad. I mean, look at Leipzig. Should have won the league probably a couple of times, drew far too many games. I think draws are horrendous in football. You, sometimes you're better off losing and then getting back into the winning streak. But yeah, they have so far looked like they've addressed that. Drew against Gladbach, then went on a great run. Drew against Freiburg have gone back on a great run. Um, yeah, there's a, obviously a very important game coming up against Bayern. Um, it's at home for them, so that should be quite good. And then outside of that, they're playing gates. Sorry, they're playing teams who you think they should really be beating. Um, they've got a game against Leipzig, and then a game against Dortmund. Not too long after that, and, and then we're into April. Then that is real business end of the season. But yeah, looking at them now, I mean, they are where they are, and there's also a gap building now towards um, fifth place. They're three points ahead of what fifth is, and then. Um, you know, they're six points ahead of where six is. So, yeah, they're looking good for it at the moment. I think the top two um, are done, as in qualifying for Champions League, um, Bayern and Leipzig. Um, but everybody else, it looks like now, it could be four teams fighting for one slot. So let's talk about that other informed team in Bayern Munich. Looking for that decisive pass in, and here it is. Keeper makes the save. Ball thumped into the pitch. Flag raised. No goal. Lewandowski, he was the one who went in for the header. They are checking that offside, leading up to what Bayern Munich felt was a breakthrough strike. The goal is given. Well, even they look a little bit surprised, and the Frenchman has broken the deadlock here. It is Bayern who have the advantage. Yes, well, we all know they're pretty good, aren't they? In fact, on Thursday night, they became the best in the world after beating Mexican side Tigres 1-0 in the FIFA Club World Cup. So, Manu, uh, let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, 1-0, um, maybe some would have expected Bayern to beat them by a few more than that. Yeah, I mean, but you you and I know that Tigres are a good side, right? And I think they um, 
Tigris did what they what they needed to do to more or less try to shut Bayern Munich out in this game, and that's really what it came down to, didn't it? That they were defensively very well organized. The problem, of course, is you, you can't really keep a side like Bayern Munich off off the score sheet forever. It's, you you have to be a bit proactive, and I think this is something that you know a lot of teams in the Bundesliga know. Um, Tigers maybe didn't quite realize that Bayern were dominant in possession. They were dominant in shots on goal. They did get a little bit of help um, in, in the in when they scored the winner. I know that that goal went to VAR, um, and that initially Lewandowski wasn't offside. But um, Chris can probably break this down a bit more. But that goal initially shouldn't have stood um, because there was a handball involved in there somewhere. But I mean, in the end of the day, I think Bayern were the deserved winner of that game, even if it was a controversial goal. Yeah, it's um, it is a controversial goal. Um, it comes off. Um, Lewandowski's arm, which is, of course, part of the hand. Um, it's an attacking handball. Handballs are broken down into attacking and defensive. It's an attacking handball. And, you know, the laws were changed and it does state that any use of the arm, even accidental, in immediate run-up to a goal, which what this was, obviously it comes off Lewandowski and then it, it's hammered in by Pavard. It's clearly, you can clearly see it on the on the replays. Um, I don't know why the VAR team didn't pick it up. But yeah, you know, you, you get your luck. I mean... Did this take the game away from Tigres? Probably not, because as Manu's already said, Bayern were very, very dominant. And I think had it gone into extra time um, and even penalties, I think Bayern still would have won. It must be a signal for Tigres, though, because they'll have seen this. And, you know, they'll, I mean, I don't really speak Spanish, but I've seen what Mexican Twitter's got to say about it. They're not very happy. But um, yeah, a little bit of fortune. But I don't think we, no one can argue for me. They have been the best side on the planet. Um, look at their form last season. Look at the way they won the Champions League. Didn't lose a game on the whole um, competition itself. I mean, not even in the group stage. That's remarkable, really. Um, the amount of victories that they picked up, the amount of goals that they scored. Um, they're fully deserved. I think they are the best team in the world. And, you know, tonight, as we record this against Armenia Bielefeld, they get to wear that little badge that I think the players like it more than anyone. You know, that's. I'm glad you brought up the badge and the fact that the players like it more than anyone. And I think in Germany, there was a lot of debate about this being a Mickey Mouse tournament and the tournament not being that important. And, you know, why are they taking this risk to fly to Qatar and, um, you know, doing COVID? And I understand a lot of those arguments. And I understand that, like, you know, maybe for some, this tournament isn't as big. But I think I, I would counter that with a couple of things. First of all, when you go outside of Europe, you know, you mentioned Mexican Twitter. For Tigres, this this game was very important. The the CONCACAF Champions League, for example, uh, when they're playing in, in in the CONCACAF Champions League, there's a board that says Road to the World Cup on in the you know, that's that's their path, you know. For Cuba Libertadores, same thing. When they say this is the road to the World Cup, you know, I know we don't have that in the Champions League in the same way. But outside of Europe, this this competition is very important. And I think the players themselves, you saw the, the way the Bayern players celebrated that title. They, this was a serious title for them. Yes, it doesn't have the same status as made the Champions League or the German Championship. But at the same time, like you get to call yourself the best team in the world. And I think they take it quite serious. If they had lost that game to Tigres, I, Tigres would have definitely celebrated this for years to come. The same when Corinthians beat um, Chelsea a few years back, right? I think that is, this is something that you can't take away from the tournament. And I understand all the controversy about it. But in the end of the days, I think the players really 
really go for it and they really appreciate winning it. Yeah, you spot on, man. I know from experience last season um, when Liverpool won it, there's a lot of comments in in England and you know across Europe that it is a bit of a Mickey Mouse tournament. And how can you be the best club in the world because you only play two games? Well, arguably you don't play two games. You have to qualify for it by winning the Champions League. That that's the pushback. But I remember all the Liverpool players afterwards they held up the little gold badge. That's what they were. That's what they were smiling with. They were all, you know, they wanted to win it. I remember Virgil Van Dijk said that. The, the the pre-match talk from the players was we want to wear that gold badge next season in competitions. We want to be known as the best team in the world. So it'll be exactly the same for Bayern. And and you're quite right. I think there was pictures um, almost immediately. Bayern must have had a few shirts pressed beforehand and Lewandowski's got his on and pointing to the badge. It, it's a big thing for the players because, you know, it is a, it's a FIFA tournament and it's the FIFA Club World Cup and you are regarded as club world champions. And I think that's a big thing for anybody. I, I think it's quite snobby, um, the way that Europeans look on it. Um, the Spanish have embraced it fully. Um, I don't know if maybe that's because they're a little bit easier going in the south of Europe. Um, but yeah, I think northern and central European sides, the big powerhouses, I think they look down on the competition. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a worldwide worthy competition for me. Um, I, I'm all for it. I mean, there is... Should they have gone to Qatar? I'm going to say probably not. We're going to get onto the Champions League. I don't really think that probably should be going ahead at the moment if we've got German sides and English sides playing home games at away stadiums. We still have away goals. I think that's all very strange. But take that aside, the Club World Cup is, is, is a good competition for me. Yeah, well, Manu, it, it does bring up the question, you know, was it a worthy uh, trip? Um, should it have went um, ahead? Um, it's obviously, the, there's the positives from it, but there's also a negative uh, in Thomas Muller's story as well. Do, do we know if he's OK and when shall he be returning to the field? In the Thomas Muller story, I think nothing hammered uh, home the fact that we're living in a COVID world. And when I saw the pictures of Thomas Muller coming out of his uh, private chat, the ambulance chat that was organised for him from the club in a full hazmat suit um you know picked up at the at the airfield in complete isolation um i think that really hammered home a, a lot of things and probably for a lot of people i mean this is this reality that we're everything is going ahead in a pandemic i think it's it's a difficult one i mean chris chris mentioned the champions league games and the difficulty that comes with the champions league games and right now the, the fact is that these tournaments are going ahead um should there be a different way of maybe organizing this? Look, I think that maybe we should have been the the Europe like the European Championships in the summer and said like no, let's don't play those. Um, it's already a year late. There's not it's not going to be feasible to have fans in the stadiums anyways. Let's be honest here. We're we're still probably a few months away from that, and instead do what we did last year and play the Champions League and the Europa League tournaments in, in that time slot. Maybe we could have played the Club World Cup in that time slot as well, right? To just ease the pressure a little bit. But it is what it is. And I think we have to understand that for these for the players, this is their job, right? And for for them to do their job also means that a lot of other people, including Chris and I, can do our jobs, right? And I think this is something that doesn't quite sink in enough that them being able to keep this industry going is basically the exact same thing that other industries are doing at the moment. And is there better ways of doing it? I think hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think we're all navigating a little bit in the fog right now when it comes to this pandemic. And there's a lot of decisions that are made where we can say, okay, well, maybe this is the wrong decision. But ultimately, we're dealing with something that we never have dealt before. And 
it's really, really easy to pick out and criticize and say, this is wrong. Um, but, you know, no one really comes up with a better solution at the moment. And I think this is just the reality of it. Well, to bring things uh, closer to home, uh, Chris, uh, on Monday evening, we're seeing the champions taking on third from bottom, Armenian Bienefeld. Do we see Bienefeld with any sort of chance going into this game? No, but the beauty of football is that relegation-threatened Armenia Bielefeld could beat the world champions. Um, and that is probably what might happen because we've seen so many strange things happen in the Bundesliga this season. That wouldn't put it past me. I mean, we always talk about football being played on paper and how it's not played on paper. On paper, Bayern Munich should absolutely wipe the floor with Bielefeld. But they have been playing good football of late, although they've not really been getting the results. They do play a, a particularly exciting brand of football. I like watching them. Um, they tried to adapt to the Bundesliga a little bit. I don't think it worked. And they went back to playing how we saw them play in the second Bundesliga the season before, which was all out attack. The the Bayern of the second league, if you want to call it that. Um no, I don't give them any hope and I don't really give them any chance of beating Bayern at the Allianz. But this is why we love football. And it would be very Bundesliga-ish. It'd be very 2020-21 season for the world champions to come back and be given a bump back to earth immediately. I, you know, this has happened before, Chris. Um, St. Pauli did it in 2002. They beat Bayern Munich and they actually got themselves shirts printed that said uh, Weltpokal Sieger Besieger. So the World Cup champions beat us and i think you can still buy those shirts um they're in circulation everywhere so maybe if bielefeld do this maybe they're going to become the next weltpokal sieger besieger <laughs> yeah. well yeah they could cling on to that maybe uh manu uh, let's talk a little bit about um the headlines a uh, transfer news coming out of uh, Bayern munich in the last few days yeah i think <laughs> I think when you when you look at the international headlines a little bit, um, it, it, what's dominating is that Bayern has done it again, right? They have signed a player from um, the direct competition, uh, Dayut Upamecano, uh, centre-back. He's available for 42.5 million euros because of an exit clause. Um, I think I, I'm of two minds here. I think Dayut Upamecano would have been gone either way. Next season, right, uh, because of the exit clause, then Bayern Munich were not the only team sniffing around. I, I know that Chelsea and Manchester United were very far in, in the talks with um, Dayut Upamecano's uh, agency, uh, Sport360. And, um, you know, so Bayern Munich basically did what all big clubs in the world do. They, they look they looked down, the, down the chain, down the food chain to, to sign who, a player who they really need. Because um, we know that David Alaba is going to be, leave, be leaving. Jerome Boateng has pr probably played his last season at Bayern Munich as well. He's probably going to move on in the summer. So that's two centre-backs gone. Niklas Süle is another player who has been on and off in form. There's, there's, there's been some concerns about his weight and fitness. So there, there's a player who has been has been struggling at time. I know Lucas Hernandez is a player that they're probably going to move to centre-back. But has also been struggling with fitness. He lost his position to Alfonso Davies, right? So I think, you know, Bayern Munich essentially saw a player available for for a reasonable price. Centre-backs are going to be very expensive next summer because everyone needs a centre-back. You look at the defending that is taking place in, in the very top of football, including at Bayern Munich. I mean, Bayern Munich have been struggling when it comes to their defence. They they've conceded 26 goals already in the Bundesliga this year, right? So I think they basically 
took an asset that was available. And yes, it was from the direct competition, but the best clubs buy the best players. I don't really see any news in that. Yeah, Chris, uh, would you say there's good business by Bayern Munich? You're moving to address the, these issues early doors in signing Upa Meccano and also Omar Richards as well from uh, Reading is going to be joining in the summer. I mean, I don't have any problem. What I do have a problem with is when people say that Bayern hoover up all the talent going. I don't really think that's true, to be honest. Um, Bruce Dortmund sign more players from Bundesliga clubs than Bayern. It's just that Bayern tend to pick the best. Now, is that fair? I mean, you can argue that, but I don't really remember fair being in the operations of a football club. You, if football clubs exist to win trophies, they exist to make money, um, and they exist, exist to be the best in the world at what they do. Um, and Bayern have picked up a defender who they think can do that. The problem for me comes with sides like Leipzig who have release clauses in. You Once you put a release clause in, it, it's very unlikely that you can dictate where that player then goes. So if Leipzig don't want to sell a right, sell to a rival, don't have a release clause because at the end of the day, if Bayern make a, an offer, they can say, no, we don't want to sell to a direct rival and then Upa Meccano goes abroad to Spain or the Premier League or wherever. Um I've seen people online saying, why don't they just write into his contract that is a release clause, but not for Bayern? It doesn't, I mean, it does happen. There are certain clubs who, who will not sell under any circumstance to each other and will probably write it in. But, you know, there's agents and clubs have got to be happy with that. I don't think Upper Meccano or his agent would have been happy with a with a no Bayern clause. Um, and then maybe he doesn't sign it. And maybe he goes for even cheaper. But yeah, it's just something that happens. Um, I mean, with Richards as well, looks to be joining. Just seen something now that he's set to have a medical check at some point um, between now and, and whenever, um, unless there's any problem on that. You know, I think he'll be joining Bayern as well. Um, there's an instance where they're not buying the the biggest talent going. They're investing in a little bit more of a youthful player, a player from a from what you call a second tier league. Um, I think people who don't watch German football just think that Bayern go out and buy Lewandowski and um, Mario Götze every year. And it just doesn't happen. That's a, a misconception. Um, but when they go out and sign Upa Meccano from Leipzig, then yeah, suppose it does look like that. But they didn't get Werner. They didn't get Havertz. Um, you know, these are players that went somewhere else. So they did get Upa Meccano. If they had all three, if they got all three, I think people would have a case like, you know, Bleacher Report or BR as they're called now and, and their um, tongue-in-cheek tweet, which, you know, drives traffic. The the, um, the interaction with that from Bayern fans is off the scale. So, you know, they got what they wanted from that. I, I do find it interesting because you mentioned a couple names there that, you know, didn't go to Bayern. I want to add a couple more names that Bayern Munich tried to sign and ended up going somewhere else. And that's Torgen Hazard and Julian Brandt. You know, and those two players ended up going to Dortmund instead. So it, it isn't just it isn't just Bayern that is weakening the direct competition. I think it's just up the food chain. Everyone is, you know, everyone is, it it always goes down the food chain, doesn't it? And Dortmund went out and triggered the extra clause in Julian Brandt's contract. They went out and um, negotiated Gladbach down um, to sign Torgen Hazard in 2012. They signed Marco Reus. For 17 million euros from Gladbach, um, a player who was also had also had an offer from from Bayern Munich, you know. So th- those two teams are both guilty of doing it. I, I do agree with you with exit clauses. I do find um, that that makes it, of course, difficult for clubs to kind of retain 
the assets. But we have to remember, too, that Leipzig, despite their rich financial backing, they are growing. They're trying to grow in a natural way because they're under such close such stewardship is maybe the wrong word, but observation by UEFA, right? And the financial fair play regulations. And so they can't just do a city and just buy everyone who's available. Um, and they can't really just retain those players in the same way either because by by growing naturally or organically, that means you have to sign those players. And right now they're still in a stage where they will still lose some of their best players. Like they lost Nabi Keita and they're still way better the year, next year, Right. And now they lost Ubermecano, and I'm pretty sure they will be better again next year anyways because of their recruitment. But they're still in the stage where every once in a while they will lose one of their top players in order to grow financially. Quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because obviously they've got one of the best young coaches um, in world football. And I, I don't know how long he will maybe put up with that because without wishing to say that they look like the next Dortmund. I, I know we're going to talk about Dortmund, but I feel they've rather lost their way. They don't really understand who they are in the big scheme of things. Are they a stepping stone club or are they a club that exists to purely try and win the Bundesliga? And I, I'm not sure they even know that themselves at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't like to see Leipzig go down that same way. Upper Meccano is going to leave this season. Will Canate leave the season after that? You know, that's probably their two best defenders gone inside of 12 months. How does that then affect Julian Nagelsmann when there's other top coaches moving around and there will be some really big jobs coming up soon um, across Europe in the next two to three years? And does he decide enough's enough and moves on? It's Yeah, it's a strange one. But um, yeah, Bayern have got themselves a great player and, you know, that that's what they exist for to buy the best players. And Manu, just before we move away from this uh, topic, uh, RB Leipzig have uh, picked up two centre-backs. They've, they've moved quite quickly with this in uh, Simakan uh, and Josko. Uh, what can you tell us about these two players, of anything? Yeah, Mohamed Simakan from AC Strasbourg and um, Josko Gvardiol from Dinamo Zagreb. Um, Simakan is, I think it's just just needs a medical now and then that deal is done he was very close to joining Milan but then he had an had a knee injury which meant that the winter move fell through and then Leipzig were able to move in instead I think Milan ended up signing Tomori from Chelsea instead right because they needed immediate help that meant that you know Sima Khan is now available he, from what I'm hearing um, from what I've seen from what I've seen from the numbers um, in, in our transfer database a, a tremendous signing um, you know he's He's going to be more than capable of replacing Dayut Ubermecano. And uh, Josko Guardiol, another very interesting player. And that, this is a player that they signed in an interesting structured deal last year in the summer for $16 million. And they, they put in a bunch of bonuses that ensured that he would get playing time at Dinamo Zagreb throughout the year. There was bonuses that Zagreb could meet um, for the amount of games that he's played. So it was Leipzig were basically paying um, Zagreb to play him, right? And which is an interesting, interesting model, I thought. And they, they did this because they knew that they were going to lose Upamecano in the next summer, right? They didn't know where he was going, but they knew they were going to lose him. And I think uh, to maybe address a little bit what Chris said, when you look at the players that they're now bringing in, I think they might actually be better next year in defense than they were this year because Ubermecano is is a good defender, but he's not flawless. We saw that in the 5-0 against Manchester United. You know, he does come with certain flaws and I think that Nagelsmann was very much aware that they could make money with Ubermecano and maybe even improve the defense because I think the two players that they're bringing in might be better. And um, I think that is something that Leipzig, and of course, this is this is a tricky one. And Chris is quite right. And they, they do not need to find a way in that regard. Um, but I think as long as you improve by selling, 
and you get to the goal. And I think that that's quite clear that Leipzig want to be a club that's going to win titles. I think Dieter Mateschitz, the owner, and again, you can you can love or hate him. Um, I think he doesn't do things half-measured. You look at their Red Bull racing team, they won lots of titles, right? You look at what he's then done in terms of hockey. His hockey teams win lots of titles and have also invested a lot of money into the youth infrastructure. And I think it's going to be the same with RB Leipzig. Or, you know, Salzburg is, is another one, um, a team that's now winning titles um, year after year. So and I think that Leipzig, that will be the ultimate goal as well. It's just a little bit harder in Germany in the Bundesliga than it is in some of those other sports or in the Austrian Bundesliga. But I think they will get there eventually. And I think those two players will give them a huge boost. Well, guys, uh, on the podcast, we, we can't just talk about the informed teams. We've got to t- talk about the struggling teams as well. So uh, let's move on to Borussia Dortmund. And it comes again towards him. And he didn't get there. But Bebu did. More calamitous defending from Dortmund. They didn't deal with it. Kipanan Ilyas Bebu goes in to go out and Marvin Hitz buries his face in the ground. It's the second weekend running and Hoffenheim have turned this round to lead. Dortmund's bogey team striking again. Yes, on Saturday we've seen Hoffenheim hold Borussia Dortmund 2-2 for Dortmund. That does mean one win in six. Chris, uh, another bad day uh, for Dortmund. Things just aren't going well for them at all. And as we said, your Champions League football is looking harder and harder as the weeks go on. Yeah, not a good day for Dortmund, um, the result. I think they were quite fortunate that the teams around them couldn't take um, advantage of that. It was pretty much draw Saturday, wasn't it? There was um, there was only two victories in the entire match day. That was a Friday night Leipzig against Augsburg and then Frankfurt beating FC Kern on Sunday. Everybody else drew. So Dortmund might have got away with one slightly there. Um, but yeah, they were um, they were poor in parts and they were good in others. But they just look like a team that's in free falls, probably the wrong word, because they managed to scrape it back. Had they been beaten 2-1 by what has been a pretty dreadful Hoffenheim side overall, um, either the way they're playing or, or the injuries they've had and the team they've had to put out. Um, it it just it, it's just not good. Dortmund have, have gone a goal ahead through Sancho, which I thought was a, you know a great finish. Everybody's been talking about how out of form he is. I don't think they watch the league because he looks just as good as he's ever done to me. Just had a bit of an iffy start, probably um, impacted by all the summer transfer dealings that he thought he may be going on. They took the lead and then once again, they they don't keep it for very long. But six minutes, the defence isn't pretty good. And then straight out of the back of half time, they find themselves um, behind again through, through an aerial goal, a header. They've not been good on those at all all season. But Erling Haaland gets the goal that's required with like nine minutes to go. So they did pull it back. Dortmund now, it, it's all about qualifying for the Champions League for them Um I hesitate to, to say to to burst your bubble, Bryce, but I'm pretty sure you're going to mention the news that's broke today uh, as we record this on Monday afternoon. Um, that's out of the way for them now. That's maybe some sort of weight off the shoulders. I don't think it applied to the players, but to the club. Um, Dortmund need to get into that Champions League because I genuinely don't know if they can keep hold of all the players that they may have promised they can keep hold of if they don't make that Champions League. 
Yeah, well, Chris touched on it there. And so, yeah, that was obviously our next topic. I thought we'd get the uh, match out of the way first. And that's right. The the big news um, to come today is uh, Marco Rosa will be leaving Borussia Mönchengladbach in the summer to join Borussia Dortmund. Um, Manu, we talked about this a little bit with Cara last week, that um, bringing in a coach is one thing, but maybe you know the attitude around Borussia Dortmund uh, needs to change. Uh, do you think that Marco Rosa is going to be a big enough personality to change that, or do you think it goes beyond him? Yeah, I saw uh, our friend Stefan Bushko tweet today and say um, maybe Marco Rosa can bring Max Eberl as well, um, the sporting director from Borussia Mönchengladbach, right? which indicates to me that people a little bit closer to the club are a little bit worried maybe about the the positions above the head coach. And there is an argument to be made there that some of the decisions, although I think the player recruitment has in, in some ways been very innovative and um, you know been very good at identifying some of the world's best talent, it's almost gone too far in that direction, right? And the mix has been maybe lacking in terms of how the squad is put together you look at some of the other teams around Dortmund right now, the, the mix seems to be a bit better between you know, bringing in experienced players but also players who, who have that U4 abroad. And the problem with Dortmund right now is I see Marco Reus and Mats Hummels and they seem to be so concerned with themselves rather than, rather than trying to guide these young players. And oftentimes it's like it's a young guy, Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland, that you know, rescued this club and, and that was definitely the case on the weekend. So that's that's a big one for Marco Rosa to address, right? Like the the fact the way the squad is put together is is something that that doesn't doesn't start with him. It starts with the people above him, and I think it's a good start. I think that he brings in a lot of these positive attributes that have been may, maybe lacking. He's very charismatic. He's um, a very good coach in terms of tactics. He likes to play that high pressing football. Uh, he has many of these attributes that you know that they like to see in Dortmund. Someone who is open, friendly, um, has charisma. All of these things exist in Marco Rosa. I think the question now is: um, this is not in his hand, right? Like, what will happen to the squad? And I think Chris is quite right. If they don't play in the Champions League next year, the club is insistent that they're going to be keeping Erling Haaland. Um, I think Jaden Sancho will be gone either way. I think they, they, they hope that they can maybe keep Jaden Sancho if they qualify the Champions League. I personally can't see it. Um, but I think that, you know, if they don't qualify for the Champions League, they can hope and um, say whatever they want about Erling Haaland. This is a striker who wants to play in the Champions League. And if they're not there next year, he's possibly gone. And th- those are big things for Marco Rosa to address. And while he has all these personality traits, will he be given the squad to work with? And I think there is, when you look at the Gladbach team today and the way Dortmund's team is built, there's a, a lot a lot of big differences. Like, for example, Chris, Gladbach play with three um, powerful forwards right now. You don't have that at Dortmund. It, basically, it's all reliant on Erling Haaland getting the job done, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that, that's maybe one thing that Marco Rosa may have to adapt. I mean, I think he's adapted his, his ways from um, Salzburg when he came over. I think he built that Borussia Mönchengladbach side in, in, in his own mind and he built how they wanted to play and obviously worked on that in the training ground. And, you know, you and I were lucky enough to go and see them a couple of times last season. Um, in fact, uh, they were the last team I saw live in Germany before the pandemic stopped me from traveling. So 
they they play a nice a, a nice style of football and and think he's critical to that as is the rest of his staff who look like they're also going to move with him um but yeah I, i'm i'm with manu if if they don't make that champions league slot this season oof. i mean dortmund have said um, quietly that they would like to keep Edin Terzic on the staff. I, I don't know if that happens. Um, old man versus new man. I know he's only young Terzic, but he'll have been running the show for six months. What happens if he makes a mess of it? How does that go? How does that How does that relationship go forward if they don't make the Champions League? Um, yeah, um, it, it's a real odd one, but everything has to be now in for Borussia Dortmund for making that Champions League because, you know, as I just alluded to, I'm like Manu. They can say they're not going to sell Erling Haaland, um, but if they don't make the Champions League, that is a serious amount of money that they're going to lose um, at the minute. We don't know when fans are going to come back. You would assume that they would come back in September, but is that 100%? Is it 20%? Is it 10%? Is it 15%? We still don't know. So they're not going to get the money coming through the gate, potentially. They'll, they'll have a loss of... Um, revenue from the Champions League, which could be up to anywhere to 100 million euros for that particular calendar year that they go into, or that tax year, I should say, sorry. It's going to be a nightmare for them. Um, so they must have given Marco Rosa some assurances that Gio Reyna will be there, that Guerrero will be there, that Bellingham will stay, that Haaland will stay. I think Sancho's off. I don't think there's any secret in that. I think he will go the end of the season. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, everybody now knows what's going to happen. And it would be quite strange should Marco Rosa do his job, which is to get Borussia Gladbach as high as he can in the Champions League. He's a very professional guy. What happens if he steers them to fourth and, and Dortmund make fifth? It's, it's There's so many connotations. I find it really strange. Well, yeah, we've managed to cover an awful lot. Once again, guys on the uh, podcast, a lot of headlines this time. But uh, we've got room for uh, just two quitter questions here. So let's uh, let's fire one uh, Manu's direction. Uh, Matthew Purcell um, says, got a question. With the addition of Richards from Reading, do you think we could see him at right back? I know he is originally considered a left back, though. Well, I actually thought it was the other way around. I thought he was actually a right back and they're thinking of him playing him as a left back. So I'm not sure if that answers uh, <laughs> your question, Matthew, but and I think that they are definitely planning him as a, as a left back. Um, do, do shadow Alfonso Davies as Lucas Hernandez is moving into into a more central role. But, you know, we also seen that at times, Benjamin Pavard struggled. I think his his weak form has been over, but they haven't really had a player to to shadow him either, right? So I I, I see them being signing Omar Richards and saying, okay, look, this is a player that we can use for both flanks. And Chris, one question for you. Brian Sanders asks, so is the litmus test for Eintracht next weekend against Bayern, or have you seen or have you been convinced of Eintracht? getting into the Champions League anyway. Uh, we touched on that a little bit earlier, but how do you see next week's game going? Well, I mean, Frankfurt have been tremendous. It's a, it's a big game for them. I don't think their Champions League qualification hangs on it. If they do get beat by Bayern or they just get a draw, um, I don't think it's the end of the world. It's how they respond from that and will be key to it. I think they've got more than enough quality to do that. Um, if I can just go back to the other question, what I, what I do find quite interesting, and, and, and Manu will probably know this already anyway, um, but Omar Richards is part of the Stella Football Group who 
also look after Eduardo um, Cavaniga, I think I've got that right, who who plays in France, who Bayern are interested in. So um, maybe there's a relationship building between that particular agency and um, and Bayern, which would be one to keep an eye off. But I don't think, Brian, that next week's game against um, Bayern is the be-all and end-all. Um, if it's a defeat, it's it's how Frankfurt bounce back. I don't think they're going to win every single league game between now and the rest of the season. It's how they manage that and how do they get themselves into third. I may, might just want to add that Kamavinga would probably look very good in a Bayern shirt, Chris. Yeah, we'll just have to see if that one pans out as well. But guys, that, that does it for the podcast this week. Um, it, it's been great to have you back, Chris, I must say. Um, we'll be back before you know it. Obviously, Champions League returns this week as well. So you've got plenty of football midweek to keep you entertained. But um, yeah, until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.